I mean, he's been putting in work for so long. Putting in a lot of work. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Putting In Work, episode 156 of 8-Bits Interview Podcast. We are powered by Audio Technica. This is the first episode of 2022. Somehow, this is definitely the longest break I've ever had since starting the podcast. Definitely well and truly moved into this new phase of putting in work where it just happens when I meet someone or reach out to someone that uh, I really want to talk to rather than the hustle of finding new guests to talk to just for the sake of putting up a new episode. So that means you know this is going to be a good one. Uh, It is Lachlan Piney, a friend of mine who is a 2D animator at Flying Buck Productions in Sydney. He's worked as a character animator on Nickelodeon's Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. He's worked on some Lego animations. He's helped out with Disney Marvel's What If and some other cool Marvel projects. But the way that I know Lachlan is through his new move into the game development space where he worked as a contracted animator on Lilymo Games' Super Perils of Baking, which is a from the ground remake of Lily Moe's first game, Perils of Baking. The connection is that I'm currently working on a script for Lily Moe's role-playing game in the future. So we've got to know each other through the Discord channel and just watching the Super Perils of Baking remake evolve into what it is. This game's coming out as of releasing this. It should be out on all platforms. But really the story is quite interesting where a very simply animated game being uh, Barry's very first with Lilymo was going to get a very basic visual upgrade but Lachlan volunteering his efforts to help out with it. Over time it really became a total overhaul of every visual element on the game to be something that is a very slick looking throwback to 16-bit 2D platformers. So you'll hear Lachlan talk a lot more about that and how his specific involvement transformed that project, but also his insight on going from 2D animation for a TV series or a movie into something as interactive as a video game. Very talented artist, and I really hope that you get something out of his career story. So here he is to talk all about Flying Bark, Super Perils of Baking, available now. It is Lachlan Piney. Enjoy the show. Lachlan, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It's great to have you here. Well, thanks very much for having me. It's all right. This is, uh, I know that you probably haven't done a lot of podcasting, but this is also my first putting in work interview for like six months. So we're both probably in okay. a similar place <laughs> um, Yeah. as far as comfort zone. But uh, yeah, we've, we've probably, I guess we've been chatting in um, our Lilimo Discord channel for uh, at least three or four months before this so it's yeah. good to finally meet you and put a face le- to the yeah. indiscriminate thing yeah yeah l- learn a bit more about um how you got into this wild world of animation because uh, i guess i'm guessing it hasn't been a completely straight line uh let's do the origin story what did you grow up interested in art like was that something you always found yourself skilled at like how did this happen yeah well i think um I've always had an interest in, I guess, a- animation was the first thing I had an interest in, but that was just because it was like, I think a cap, like the first memories I have of being into anything was seeing The Lion King in the cinema mm. <clears throat> um, and the Batman animated series, which I was still obsessed with and was the sort of awakening for me where I was like, I think initially I just wanted to be Batman but then after that proved to be Impossible. a somewhat like <laughs> yeah non-fungible approach to a lifestyle um and Canberra's not exactly like a Chicago metropolis so i don't know i mean it might be now i don't know what the <laughs> I haven't um i'm not there as often as i should be i guess but uh yeah i um i just sort of fell in love with that and my parents <clears throat> both worked in the media industry excuse me for the cough and it's an occasional sort of like rough throat i've got just got hit with the flu everyone's um, sick right now so it's yeah i know it's just i mean the world is sick at the moment i guess is unfortunately but um but yeah no both my parents were into um were media driven my dad was an editor um at the abc uh mm-hmm. for my entire well up until 
the past couple of years and my mum had worked in government departments doing video production and had worked at TV and news broadcast as well cool. um, as an assistant and as like AD and stuff like that as well. So um, there was like an informed interest, I guess, that came from them because I think they could see that I had like, I had, you know, taken an interest in this. And so I remember ritualistically it would be go to the video store and get as many different sort of animated things I could get my hand on. And, um, yeah, and then that sort of was the, the love of it. And then obviously, you know, a few years later, I discovered Star Wars, the original trilogy, and Indiana Jones and the rest, and it was sort of like off to the races. Mm, okay, so in the terms of you developing as an artist based on those influences was it something where you would just in your free time do like notepad doodles or were you like pausing the tv and like tracing the screen or anything like that i think it was i think it was yeah the sort of like um colored pencils just drawing on you know old fax paper and stuff like that whatever it was around and um doing my best to try and recreate what i saw um, not so much to the pause, what was on screen sort of thing. Yeah. It was more just like drawing from memory and, and, and mucking around. And then my pop, who was also had, he was a very intelligent, is a very intelligent man and was just like, had a bit of a polymath, had, um, all these old cartooning books and like how to cartooning books from like the forties that I would sort of just do exercises in. And then I think there was like a magazine that, I got as well. It had this like green snake. I remember it had these like, I can't remember what it was called, but um, I think it was just art, art something, but it just had like exercises and like had different sort of like examples of uh, breakdowns of how these artists put things together and what have you. And um, that was, yeah, that was where that sort of like technical side came in. And mum had done art, uh, a visual arts course as well at university so we would go to the gallery, like the National Gallery in Canberra. Right. And yeah, so there was always cool. a creative or like an artistic um, interest in the family. And so it was sort of easy to fall into that. And what was the point that you remember where you started to take it seriously? And that could mean like developing your own original content or thinking like, this is what I want to do for a career. Um, I th I think when I was six, I wanted to be an actor initially um but th that came about because i got quite ironically enough speaking now is that i got quite ill uh when i was young and i was sort of like stuck at home for about six or eight weeks and missed a bunch of school um i got chicken pox which is not deadly obviously mm -hmm. but um straight afterwards i got pneumonia because right. I mean, canberra can get quite cold <laughs> i think uh i don't know how i came how it came but then i was stuck at home and so all I could really do was um, was like sit and watch movies. And so I think there it was just one of those things where I'd made the connection. Um, after wanting to become Batman, I wanted to become Luke Skywalker. And then <laughs> mum was like, well, you can't. That's even more far-fetched luck when that's not going to happen. <laughs> but, um, but then uh, I'd realized I was like, oh, I'd want to be an actor. And then mum was like, oh, you have to get up in front of people. I was like, oh, scratch that. So it sort of became a more behind-the-scenes thing where I wanted to sort of create the world to do the do the work and initially it was just like with story writing or or just whatever I could get my hands on basically just anything that was sort of like related to uh, an expression through either a visual medium or written just having these sort of like little worlds and stuff that I put together okay so it, was, it wasn't just art it was the whole behind the scenes the whole yeah and I and again thing. Yeah, the benefit of having parents that were in the industry is like mum had these like um, special effects documentary tapes where it went like behind the sh scenes and showed like the wire work that different like uh, for Hocus Pocus, the, the like Bette Midler mm -hmm. um, Disney Halloween film and um, showed the practical makeup effects and stuff like that. Uh, and um think even like the the animatronics and like independence day and stuff and it sort of okay. had these like breakdowns of how these people put this together and that was at the very early stages of um cg as well so seeing the breakdowns of like how they did the t-rex in jurassic park and stuff so there was all like even as young as six there was a 
I had an, a sort of maybe a bit more of a behind the curtain idea of how things were put together on screen just because mm. my parents had an interest in it, obviously, as well. And then I guess it came to the point where you literally had to decide which path to go down as far as learning a skill. So you went to, I'm guessing, some kind of university course for animation or? Yeah, initially it was um, in high school, I had wanted to sort of, uh, I, thought, I think I wanted, I did some woodworking courses and stuff as well. It was very scatterbrained sort of thing. It's probably <laughs> like an undiagnosed ADHD this thing I'm dealing with, but um, they, uh, I'd wanted to do architecture and like set building and stuff like that, but then found out that maths was like a big part of that. And I was like, oh, well, that's not going to work out then because maths was never my strong suit. Um, but the, it kept that interest. And so that was where I found out about and had gained more of an interest in games as well at that time, just because, you know, growing up, first console was a PS1 like Christmas 98 and then mm. the next was PS2 and so that was when I was starting to see more of those like Jack and Daxter and Time Splitters was like a really big part of um seeing the connection there and and seeing um there was a special feature or like an unlockable in Destroyal Humans where you could see the concept art oh, yeah. that was yeah like for crypto and what have you and um and I remember seeing that and going, oh, I want to do that. I want to be the, the person like that does the drawings that they make the games from. Um, and that sort of like funneled me into looking at courses like AIE courses and um, and just art and design. And then that's where I ended up sort of like going through college or like, sorry, in in the ACT when I where I grew up, it was like college was 11 and 12. Mm-hmm. So that's where it got confusing. But um, it's okay. But then, yeah, then we, um, then I went to uni at the ANU in uh, the School of Art there and did a course in uh, a Bachelor of Visual Art, but majoring in digital media. But I was looking at doing, um, I was doing live action film mostly at the time, just because I thought initially going into games, I was like, oh, I should learn 3D and then started trying to learn 3D. I was like, I hate learning 3D. <laughs> like, it just didn't didn't gel with me. And like the archaic sort of like 2010 versions of Maya and stuff, I just got so frustrated with poly modeling because it didn't feel as natural as like clay modeling. But there's a lot more options there now with like uh, ZBrush and Blender and what have you. So mm-hmm. that's not as unapproachable as what it had been before for me, but but it was just one of those things um, coming in. And so I was like, oh, well, live action, directing, writing, editing, doing the whole work. It was like I could create these shorts and that's where I thought I was going to head for a while. Um, And I was still at the School of Art, still doing, um, you know, 2D art, like life drawing and what have you. But um, it wasn't until I did my honors year when I was working on my live action shorts that I was like I'm gonna need to try and find work after this and so went harder at realizing that you know you can't walk into or walk out of uni typically and just go I'm just gonna be a live action director someone's gonna hire me to do a feature film (laughs) it's just not gonna happen (laughs) so I sort of just did the legwork and um and just reached out and cold emailed um a bunch of artists about how they got into the industry doing concept art or what have you and I got a response from, um, oh, I'm trying to remember his name, which is really bad, but uh, he was one of the concept, or like creature, I think creature concept artists on Dead Space. And he sent me a podcast, and this was before I even knew what podcasts really were, but I listened to him and he had this great story. Um, I really should look him up. I'll, I'll, I'll find him, but I'll make sure I remember it later. But um, yeah, he, he basically pointed me in the right direction and was like, oh, well, you should be like, trying to build a portfolio, Mm -hmm. uh, trying to like get your foot in the door at other studios and just present work or just do, you know, empty the bins, do whatever you can, just get in the building (laughs) through whatever legal means, obviously, but just try and help out as best you can and, and get a foot in the door that way and become personable and learn on the job. And that's kind of what happened with, uh, like, it's just with anything and in, in creative industry, it was just stupid, dumb luck that I got my first job 
I got a job as a storyboard artist um, at a at an animation studio on the Central Coast, um, and that was because a friend of mine at uni um, had had known that I was um, looking for work and trying to get into animation or trying to get into games or or whatever. And her cousin worked at a bakery where right. <laughs> the people from the studio would go for lunch. And so she found out through there that they were looking for people. And then I, I got a connection there. And lo and behold, you know, there goes three years of my life in that place. So um, that's how I sort of like started off there. And that was a fairly tumultuous start because obviously anyone that's sort of just going to accept anyone off the street maybe is like not as experienced as they should be as well running a studio so it was a pretty chaotic and um and like uh a baptism by fire because i think it was like the blind leading the blind unfortunately but we managed to get uh the product or the project out the door but then yeah and then it was like Came back to Canberra, did some work here, uh, there for a bit, and then got the job at Flying Bark with some friends that I worked with at the studio on the Central Coast. Right. And here we are now. Yeah. What was the what kind of work was coming out of that original studio that you worked for? Um, they did. Well, I was hired initially to do rotoscope animation. So I guess uh, not to jump ahead, but if people aren't aware that rotoscoping or rotoscope animation is basically where you take live action footage and draw over the top of it and make it a 2D image of live action. So the the examples I can think of that are like a Scanner Darkly or which is a Philip K. Dick novel can, um, that was adapted into an animated feature and Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder and um, Robert Downey Jr. and stuff was 2007. Anyway. I think that's when it came out, but um, that, and that was a Richard Linklater film. So the guy that did like Slackers and Mm -hmm. what have you. And uh, the Take On Me um, video clip from the 80s, famously sort of had one of those early signs of, um, or early noticeable rotoscope sort of sequences. But um, yeah, I was hired initially to do that for a Doctor Who revival. So they were like finding old... Um, Doctor Who sh- shows that had like been partially restored or just only had the audio and that we were sort of trying to put together um, or yeah. re- animated restorations of those. Um, yeah. But then when I got on and started, we were working on a completely different series. Can they use <laughs> and, rotoscoping yeah. as like a visual effect, even in like Disney, like Star Wars and that kind of thing? Yeah, it's also, yeah, it is It is one of those things too where you'll do that, like, for example, we are talking about before with like Hocus Pocus. If you've got flying characters or characters jumping around and they're on wires, you need to frame by frame paint out those wires. Mm. But they'll do that now with like matte painting on, so like a lot of stuff shot on green screen now or had been before the new sort of tech with the Mandalorian and stuff with those yeah, Unreal Engine screens, yeah. yeah, yeah, but um, they uh, they yeah, so you'd have to like paint out wire work, or if someone's missing a limb or something like that, you could do a green screen version of their arm, and then you like would paint the wound in and stuff and track it. So yeah, people have to actually physically touch and deal with a lot of that stuff, whatever you see on screen, um, or take for granted now, I guess. But anyway, yeah, very cool. Okay, so Flying Buck comes along. How long have you been there now? Uh, it was August 2017 when I yep. started there. Yeah, so, so coming up five years. Um, yeah. Why don't you mention or name drop some of the cooler projects you've been able to work on there? Um, I, initially, I was, well, I was hired to work on um, the Teenage, Min- Nin- Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles reboot, um, Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, and some of the people Johnny Knoxville one. Like the oh, I didn't even live... know. So that's a newer one. But um, I guess it was, no, uh... sorry, I'm I'm confused. There's like the the live action kind of one, but then there's also an animated one, wasn't there? No, yeah. So there was an animated one that yeah. we worked on. That was um, yeah. it was uh, a few of the people that worked on it, like the execs worked on um, like Samurai Jack and some other. Okay series um like cartoon network series in the early 2000s and 90s um 
but uh, that was a lot of, that's one of the most fun projects I've ever worked on um, and was like an explosion in sort of like skill level as well coming in from where I was when I first came into where I am now was a bit, a, that was a big reason was a big reason for that was working on turtles. Um, Is that so because that was the art style was just so much fun? It was fun and, but it was like really, it took a lot of inspiration f- um, action wise from Eastern animation. So there was like a lot more dynamic camera angles and like, the characters were always in like forced perspective and Mm. it was just a lot of expression and energy and it was like very snappy and sort of um it was a great a great great series to work on so yeah that was a lot of fun um and then i worked briefly on a lego project that's in sort of like a weird limbo i think the way that it's being released but it's lego monkey kit it's kind of like a sci-fi interpretation of um journey to the west right and that was like a co-production, I think, between Lego and a Chinese company. And then I worked on um, what, uh, Marvel What If as like a 2D effects and 2D um, character animator. So there was like a sequence we worked on in the Doctor Strange episode. So it was, mm-hmm. I guess, for that episode. But um, the, where he transitions between these different monsters. Yeah. And some of that was like too difficult or was going to be quicker to do in 2d so we took on some of those shots um because it being a 3d show it's like the amount of rigging modeling and texturing and all the sort of hands that would have to go through um in a 3d pipeline was going to take much longer than having a 2d artist try and replicate it for what essentially would be like a couple of seconds right yeah that's pretty cool so is that yeah was what if something where one studio was working on the majority no so it was split up it was like yeah yeah, it was um shipped out to different um it was yeah it was all over the world i don't know where the other studios were but i but i know that yeah we we did two episodes i don't know how much i can how much more i can speak about it I, I don't want to like because it's Disney break NDAs or anything like that. And Marvel is a particularly, um, they're particularly precious, feisty? I guess. Or yeah, well, not feisty. <laughs> no, no, no. I wouldn't say that. But they, but they, I did have. I don't even know if I can talk about that. Yeah, there's probably a Marvel like red dot on my like forehead as I speak. But yeah, um, they're watching you for but, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or listening. Um, but yeah, so. So yeah, they they took security very seriously. We'll say that much, okay. as Disney does, as like as most of these big companies yeah. do. And so, I worked on that, and now I'm working on another Disney show at the moment as well. Excellent. Well, I look forward to finding out what that is. Um, so, what what would you say has been the learning curve of of working at Flying Bark? Because unlike you know previous. Well, not that you had a ton of previous work before there, but I'm mm. guessing the rate at which you have to work at like pump out content and hand over what you've been working on would be pretty high expectation for such a, you know, professional studio. Yeah, yeah, and I I mean a lot of it was had come down to this group of friends that I'd made on the on the on the coast because they're sort of like superstar animators and they sort of, they did the test, which is actually kind of a crazy story, but they did the test for Turtles because they had done another show with Flying Bark before called um, Oh Yuck, which was like a hybrid live action animated series where they sort of like, it was just like gross science for kids. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think that was for Channel 7. I can't remember, but... um, but they um, were, the company was looking to like get more work for them because they were sort of like really great animators and, and sort of like industry leaders, I would argue, in terms of the quality of the work and the and their amount they were able to put out. And then they did the test for Turtles, thinking they weren't going to get it, but they just, you know, threw it out there and sent it off. And then uh, I think it was a f- couple of weeks later, um, our studio IT manager, I think, got an email and thought it was a phishing scam because it said, we're from Nickelodeon and we want to talk about this 
thing and he it was actually in the spam folder of our thing and he was going to delete it <laughs> um but flagged with one of our producers he's like is this real and should we follow this up um so the entire fate of my entire work life from 2017 could have been deleted in a spam folder had that guy not contacted the producer and then our producer then contact Nickelodeon Australia to be like, is this guy legit? This producer from from the States is like, yep, yep, that's legit. You should definitely follow up on that. So that's what I mean. I think a lot of, for me, it's crazy just the amount of like, absurd luck i've had um in my career in that sense sorry yeah. i don't know if i did i answer what we were um the, the, the question was about the learning curve of working there oh, okay you, so you yeah touched, the learning curve well, i was yeah. gonna say you touch on a good point which is that like you're in a you're in a position like working for a, a pretty cool studio that i'm guessing a lot of your peers especially at you know uni people who study the same thing as you would like kill to work for something at that scale and you haven't had to work for like 15 years to build your way up to it like yeah and i know i know full well that yeah i am stupidly lucky to have done had that but also just as lucky to have been able to learn on the job yeah because of that and learn with like artists that are better than me Mm -hmm. to sort of absorb through osmosis i guess some of their skills we've obviously had to like keep up with them so you've obviously got the skill and learnt to to even if you had imposter syndrome not saying you did but uh i did it's fine yeah (laughs) Yeah. you certainly adjusted to it quick enough that they wanted to keep you around i think yeah i think a lot of it was from what i've heard from them is that the quality for me had always been there so i guess i had core some core fundamental skills and was able to sort of, and had a decent enough eye, I guess, obviously, because um, I forgot to mention as well, but the previous company, I worked in storyboards, but then I eventually did, uh, I don't know if you'd say promoted, more just like, we need someone to do this, but I did end up directing two episodes um, as well. So that was like at 23, I think, I had my first director's credit. So that's like obscene for most people. You don't normally get yeah, until great. the mid 30s or like late 20s. But yeah, that was so that was just again, just because we were all learning together at the same time, it was like, oh, we need someone to do this. So I was like, yep, I'll put my hand up. I've done some live action short films. <laughs> I've been in some competitions. Mm. Um, I'll try and translate those skills to this animated thing. But I guess that was where my luck and sort of interest like coincided is that I had grown up watching all these animated series and animated films and had such a keen interest and was able to sort of just by um instinct through watching all of those um translate and then doing my own live live action shorts and learning the whole process of like doing uh editing uh shooting like actually like going out and and blocking out scenes as you would you know mm. in a story help me with as a story artist because i could translate a lot of those skills across and then it was just the mat- matter of like the draftsmanship of being able to actually draw helped a lot as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. So you mentioned before about games being something <laughs> that opened your eyes to a professional direction. So let's talk a little bit about games. Um, Lilymo is a studio that we're both connected to now through, mm-hmm. I guess you could say contract work. Um, me on an un announced project and you on something that's coming out very soon soon. uh, which is super Super perils of baking a i guess you'd call it ground up remake of the studio's first game Um, yeah by accident almost yeah (laughs) actually that's that's part of the 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 fun here so tell us about how you came to be involved with barry over at lilymo and how it evolved because it's certainly turned into something that it wasn't at the start Mm. Um, again, I guess another sort of dumb luck scenario, but had been a fan of Collins, um, from the kind of funny days and then, um, obviously followed him after he left and they went to last stand and, um, had found out that when he had, um, bought out half of Lily Mo that they were going to be developing a game. And I was like, Oh, that's cool. I had, 
a break coming up. It was at our Christmas break, I think, at the end of 20... When did Twin Breaker come out? Was that March 20... 2019. Or maybe it was 2020. I can't remember. Sorry. Might have been... Uh, whatever the, yeah, whatever it was, the Christmas it was twenty twenty. It was 2020 yeah. because last year was Hibroxia too. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I, uh, I just did like a little crappy fan art drawing of him and Chris based on the trailer um in their twin breaker suits and just sent it out to barry on twitter i was like hey just excited to see how this comes out looking forward to it and all the best with the dev and then barry liked it and hit me up and said oh we're doing a physical edition of this i liked what you did there would you like to be paid to do the cover art for us i was like uh yes <laughs> obviously um and so that's how i made the connection with barry and then um did the art for the twin breaker release and i think barry was pretty happy with it happy enough i guess that he hung around and didn't tell me to go jump off a bridge or anything like that so that's <laughs> good but um but he yeah so uh i had um started messing around with pixel art after that and found a couple of youtubers where i was like because i think for me it's always just a thing i'm like craving novelty outside of work because it's it's obviously a difficult job working in 2d animation because it's um it requires skill but it's also very repetitive like you just right. do the same thing all day every day um of just trying to like you know make sure your character is on model um in my case where i i mostly work in the keys department is i will take um the the sort of rough animation that's been done before and then get the key so the key sort of like major poses that the characters go through and um i'll bring them on models so do them in the house style or whatever the style of the character sheet is and if there's any elements that have forgotten if someone forgot to draw a pouch or something like that i'll add that in what have you but outside of that i sort of want to keep drawing and working on my own stuff um and so i just as a goof did like a little pixel art sketch of what i thought um of the uh of the the chef character or the main character from perils of baking i was like oh wouldn't it be cool if like we up you updated that and um he was like oh yeah that's cool like and just kept in touch um and then we we he reached out to me and wanted to do a prototype for another game um and we started work on that and then I think it was just one of those things where it was like I had a break from flying bark work for a while. It was like a four four week, maybe five week break um, between shows, and so I did a bit of work for that. And then he hit me up and was like, "Maybe we should actually do uh, what at the time was going to be the same game. It was essentially just Perils of Baking, but we're just going to do a new lick of paint, but." as we started working on it it just sort of became apparent that um it would be fun to do this as like a a whole new thing like a ground up remake because mm. the the work sort of just started to snowball and go oh we could do this or this would be awesome or like add these extra features or um add these extra enemies and it just it just sort of like spiraled from there <clears throat> and then to what we have now so when you say lick of paint, was it like okay, a new player, like a new sprite for the main player, maybe I, new background? It, it was yeah, basically, essentially going to be code the sa- coded the same with some slight variations, but it was going to be one of those things where I think it was like the Halo remaster or whatever, where it would be like I don't think I think we had discussed it, but it was I it's all sort of like I'd have to go back through the discord records but um i think we had discussed it being like you press a button and it would switch between the old and the new game yeah so a bit like i guess what would be a better example is the like the monkey island kind of thing yeah or or wonder boy the dragon's trap i think was the other one that came out not long ago um so something like that and then as we developed it was like oh i think barry got more ambitious and i got more ambitious and we sort of unfortunately fed off each other and then <laughs> created the monster that is super perils of baking. Yeah, nice. um, And part of that as well, we've found is that I was work- working full-time at the studio, then going back to work full-time at the studio, and then also doing super perils. It 
became apparent that we were going to need more help and that's where henry came in and, and saved the day as well sure so yeah so, and as me being a first time i've never done pixel art before um yeah. and going hey you want to make a whole game i was like yes and then like, oh <laughs> shit <laughs> yeah <laughs> now what um yeah. so it was it was awesome to have henry come in and, and help out there Okay, so, so what did what art did you do versus Henry in, on this one? Um, I did um, the character designs, character animation for the main character, the boss, um, the brother, and I think I did all of. I did mm, pretty sure I did all of the enemies and all the enemy, all the yeah, like all the designs and all the animations for the enemies. Um, except maybe a couple of ones where it was like a couple of death animations that Henry added at the end when we decided, oh, we're going to actually make this character be able to be killed. Or, right. And I was doing um, produ- uh, like a artwork for the for the store pages and um, the poster and sort the, of the like cu- and the cutscenes drawings as well. Yeah, and the cutscenes too. I forget. Yeah, because <laughs> I think it's just one of those things now when I start the game, I just immediately skip it, even though it's my own work. I'm just like, oh, next, let's get into the game. But um, yeah, so I did all the cutscene work as well, which are just these sort of like story panels. Um, yeah. yeah. Very cool. Uh, except Hen- Henry did do a, like an animated sequence at the end. With ah, yes, I think I know that. which one you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. yeah. So the backgrounds yeah. and the environments were Henry? Where Henry, yeah, and yeah. The, and the sort of like tiles, yeah. Okay. So any anything the character touches, Henry's done, and anything that the anything ground that is touched, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, and so what was it like for you to have this full time job uh, with flying bark, and then have to fit in what could have easily been another full time job, really, if you put it back um, to back? It was, yeah. I mean, it was it was fun, but it was tough. There was a lot of like. It was basically for the, I think for the better part, because it was uh, Super Perils was only meant to take six months, I think, not even. And that was obviously when it was just going to be this art swap. Mm-hmm. But um, after it became that, it sort of just started snowball. And then it became, I think we started in, I want to say March or April of last year. So it became right. an almost 12 month project. 12 months, yeah. Yeah. Um and uh yeah, so there was it was tough. It was just one of those things where it was like I would uh, but had luckily been working from home the entire time during the start of the pandemic had been stuck at home, so I would didn't have to tra- I didn't lose travel time going to in and to to and from the studio. Sure. I was just at home and I um I would have just been playing games or drawing anyway. So it was just one of those things where I would basically finish my day's work, jump off, have dinner or something, go for a walk with my girlfriend and then jump back on and then just work until whenever, whenever I could. And then just did that. Um, I tried to do that at least two or three, maybe might've been, it might've been four or five days a week at some point early, definitely. And then at other points when it was like, we were hitting milestones. It was like, oh yeah, I need to do more. So it it was just, it was a grind, obviously. But I, um, I mean, I have a game credit to my name now, and we're about to release yeah. something. So it's, it's, it's exciting to have that done and see the fruits of the labor come to fruition. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, and it looks really cool. So I'm sure that um, it feels good to be part of something that's come together so well. What would you um, describe as the difference between working in art on a video game versus the art that you've done for an animated series? Um, the difference, I'd say... Aside is, from the pixel art. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a big one, obviously, because mm. it's almost like a completely different medium in a way, um, just the way it works. Because I'd normally... It, it was a big learning curve for me in that regard because I was used to obviously just like vector or like bitmap sort of animation before so it was i didn't have to think about pixel numbers or how to animate pixel sizes or whatever to the point where it's Mm -hmm. like i think our character size is 48 pixels high which is obscenely small yeah. (laughs) yeah um but um the differences i guess were 
uh, for me, what I'm doing, it's a lot more sort of like, here's your work, do it at the studio because it's just you're just working on a bigger project you don't mm. have as much input um in terms of like the game situation though um i'd say the, the differences are uh, probably the you don't have as many frames to draw i would say in terms of the animation there's a lot more frames and a lot more expression in a tv animation or film animation um but that's because it's not going to be reused well not regularly but a lot of it's custom to a particular shot or moment yeah. in a story whereas with game animation that animation is going to be seen and used for hours upon hours and hours on end um so a lot of it is just trying to make it um it's a brevity thing. It's trying to say as much as you can with as little as you've got. Because um, if you go back and play some of the like nicer looking Disney pixel art or like Aladdin, Lion King, and like the Hercules action game on PS One, they have really gorgeous like fluid sort of animations. But if you go back and try and play them, they feel like real clunky and and um, cumbersome because there's not you're not getting the immediate response. Yeah um from an input compared to like a a mario or something exactly where it's like i mean the fact that mario is as timeless as it is um with the limited amount of animation and graphics in it is sort of indicative of just how much the the big difference is is like games are an interactive medium film and tv and and any sort of like screen-based thing that doesn't involve an input is an a passive medium you're not interacting with it so you're there's no physical connection but that's the thing they talk about with like game feel or juice and that sort of thing is you're trying to create a sort of symbiotic connection between what you've drawn on screen and a controller so that your player is connected to that character through control so um that's where the trickiness i guess comes is like knowing how much how much or how many frames to do to sell the movement that you need to sell but also have it not feel like encumbered Mm. in terms of um that you're walking through sludge or whatever yeah the swing to yeah <laughs> so was that something that um, came from direction that you took from barry at lilimo or was it something where there was some trial and error with drawing I think it with and some then of playing the, it and... i think a lot of, yeah i think because we didn't really get build until much till it was pretty much done to play with and then i played through and gave barry some feedback of like please give me some jump caching so i'm not falling off these ledges but um <laughs> which he obliged, which was very generous. It was more like, obviously, when you're working full-time and working on this, like, rote process, it's like I'd listen to podcasts and listen to other things. So as an interest, I would just listen to GDC um, talks. And so there was talks on, like, an- game animation. And so I heard a lot of those principles. And there was mm. a very good one. I can't remember the artist's name, but she worked on Skullgirls. And she talked about what it was like to animate for Skullgirls and the, the lessons she had to learn. And that was the big thing that she had learned is like um, to do 2D animation for games and particularly action games or games that have like snappy sort of feedback is you end up using a lot more of the like classic Warner Brothers sort of like smears and um, you don't get as many in-betweens, let's say. So in mm. terms of like animation, you don't have as many drawings that you can do in-between to sell emotion and that's why you see a lot of these arcs and other sort of smear frames that are used in fighting games because it sells that image or that motion quicker and it's essentially emulating a motion blur um so a lot of that came from just i guess a background interest and knowledge that i had and then it was just a case of trying to like do that and getting feedback from barry where he'd say like yes that's good or no we could work this or can we try this instead I think the one I struggled with most was the swimming animation, just because I hadn't done much swimming drawings or animation. Um, most of the characters I'd drawn in the series I'd worked on had all been jumping or running or on 
some sort of solid matter. <laughs> so that was that was the toughest one to sort of get that feedback working. But I th think it came out all right in the end. But that that was the one I think there was a that was the only one I really remember having a few rounds of notes on with yeah sure with Barry. But but yeah. So now that you've got a game to your credit, is this something that you feel like it's it is what you want to do more of, or is it something that you're just happy to do when when the opportunity comes up? I think eventually it's something I'd want to do more of. I think what I would like to do is, um, well, I'm going to be doing more with Barry, hopefully. Like so that that's uh, hopefully still a thing. But mm -hmm. I think it's something I, I've I've got ideas where I'd like to do my own thing potentially as well. So whether that's like a ground up, build everything from scratch or, or do, um, yeah. Cause I have game ideas. It's just like how, like I would have to learn the skills obviously to do programming and stuff mm -hmm. to, to translate those ideas into something else. But I, I think it's definitely something I'd want to do in terms of, um, it doesn't, take a whole team to make a game as much particularly with the indie scene and you can sort of have an audience and there's an immediate sort of connection um between you and the the player so there's that's something i find really appealing is that um it's not it doesn't take it's a bit more informal it doesn't take the amount of like channels of um of sort of like notes or studio work that you would need in a bigger production like the ones I'm working on now, which are great in terms of building up a skill base and building up um, a repertoire as an artist. But I, th I think long-term I'd want to make my own things, tell my own stories, go back to the stuff I was doing as a kid, but mm. be able to sort of like share that and do that independently outside of a studio system and have that sort of like unfiltered ability to sort of express myself without having to sort of go through checks and balances and sort of just have the work speak for itself and then, you know, try and connect with an audience that way. Yeah. I don't no, know if that cool. was too long an answer. No, no that's, that's what, good. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's an interesting thing you mentioned, like, obviously you've got the skills to, to, you know, animate and draw, but then, programming is like a whole nother area to yeah. to get a handle on so if you can figure that out then you can pretty much do everything i guess yeah you just have to hire a composer um <laughs> but yeah. that's that's a whole other thing but um but yeah no i think i think it's also just as a medium it's appealing um because you can sort of form a niche or niche sorry colin um <laughs> but uh you can you can sort of carve out an audience and have a connection and you look at like the mega hits and stuff like undertale and <clears throat> and stardew valley and it's there's something inspiring about the idea that one person or a very small group of people were able to work on something and release it to the world and have a connection independent of a of a studio system or having to sort of go through the formality of um of like you know, bartering with different distributors and stuff mm. to get your work out there. The fact that you can sort of just have an audience through making something on Steam and interacting with um, a fan base there uh, is really appealing. But yeah, I think anything, it's like I had this sort of bucket list thing as a kid or a teenager that I would make one game, one film or TV series, I guess, and one comic before I die. So I'm sort of just trying to yeah, like you're on your way. get through that now and just see, I think I'm, I'm most interested in stories and storytelling. And, and I think that's actually interesting now that games, games are actually a very interesting storytelling telling format now because the creator is not necessarily the sole author of that experience. Like you are you are sort of collaborating with whoever's interacting with that um, that work that you've made and they're creating a story with you. And I guess that's why I'm, I'm into sort of looking into more um, immersive sim and, and um, RPG things in terms of that as a medium. 
I feel like mm-hmm. there's like the organic storytelling that emerges or emergent gameplay. Yeah. That 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 thing fascinates me as well. Um and I think that's where games will be heading and that's where I'm I'm interested to see where that goes in terms of um the sort of collaborative storytelling that comes up from that and less formal um point to point stories or three act stories that you would get in a um in a normal sort of like third person action game. Sure, sure. Okay, so what would you say has been the hardest part of getting to where you're at now where, you know, you're pretty comfortable with the film stuff but you're, you know, also eager enough to branch out and comfortable enough to to, to know that you can offer that to a studio like Lilimo in your free time? Um, the hardest part. I think the hardest part is um consistency and sustaining um a balance because there there hasn't been a balance i guess i would say is like i don't really know what happened in my 20s i think (laughs) i just worked my 20s (laughs) like that's all that's all i remember is like i was either at uni or i was i was working on a at a studio or looking for work and trying to build my own things that's that's all i've sort of done so trying to find a better balance there but that's just the monkey on my back i guess of um just being like i i i'm never satisfied with anything i'm happy with super perils but i think that's more so in part because i feel like i was a part of that i wasn't the catalyst i wasn't the creator of that um so for me i just i can i can have satisfaction in other people's success but i i struggle significantly with um uh I'm, I'm never satisfied with what I've done. I feel like I can always have done better or do better. Um, not necessarily necessarily through effort, but I always feel like I run out of energy or run out of time before I can get the work to this perfect sort of end point. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the hardest thing, I guess, is like trying to maintain um, the willpower i guess to actually get up and keep doing it is where it's like most difficult i would say sure yeah i mean it's get better to have something finished than for it to be perfect i guess is the uh, no of course the yeah. adage. i think that's what <laughs> that's what having deadlines and release dates yeah. tends to help with it's like i think colin said it before as well but it's like uh, none of the work no artist like finishes work they just have abandoned it or has it's been abandoned in a state that they're comfortable with or mm. yeah. what have you but um i'm butchered that completely sorry <laughs> but, <laughs> but okay. yeah i think it is one of those things where it's just um uh knowing when a project's done enough and then being able to move on and try and take the lessons you've learned from that to apply it to the next one mm-hmm. um yeah sure so what would be your advice to anyone who wants to get to where you're at now i guess Learning, learning core skills, I think, is probably the most important, just fundamentals. And if you're looking at character animation, just watch a lot of animation. I think that's it. Just watch a lot of, like, follow the Sakuga sort of blogs or YouTube videos. Just um, a little tip, if anyone's on YouTube and wants to le- look at something frame by frame, the two little arrow keys, um, the, like, comma and full stop so those two on a keyboard you can step frame in on youtube so that's a good way if you're an animator if you want to look at like a drawing from frame to frame and switch back and forth i do that often um so those sort of things but it's like um it's just you're gonna have to work really hard at the fundamentals and share your work that's one thing i'm very bad at doing i don't share my work anywhere near enough i don't have a following i'm a drop in the internet ocean but um <laughs> this is your I, chance man I, uh, this, this is like yeah. you know there's a lot of eyes on perils so this is a good chance yeah. to, to well, start this doing is, that. yeah this is it's pretty wild it will be pretty well i'm i can only hope i hope it does well i think it deserves to do well i think the effort we put into it i think it it deserves to have an at, at least some level of attention driven towards it. i'd mm-hmm. love for it to do well and i'd i'd yeah want barry to do well with it obviously um but uh i think doing that and um try and make your own thing and see if you can get that out there like share that and make that 
And if that succeeds, then you can go into a studio system or prove and go like, hey, I've already got this following. I've done this. Mm. Um, or if you can't do that, try and develop your skills or network pe- with people in studios and then work on the job and learn that way too so that you can sort of um, get the hard skills down and then you can transfer that to your own stuff or work on your own stuff on your own time. So if you're in the industry, work on the stuff in your own time if you can find it. And if you're out of the industry, either try and get into the industry or work on your own <laughs> stuff and develop your skills yeah. to do that. I don't know. Terrible advice. Sorry. I don't know. No, I think, um, the, I think just looking at what you've done is a, a good example of, of what you've just said anyway. Yeah, I guess it's one of those things as well is that it's the old adage of like, there's no such thing as an overnight success. It's always an overnight success 10 years in the making. Hmm. So what you see and the sort of success stories of like on TikTok or Instagram or Twitter or whatever, it's like that's a microcosm of the amount of work that went into actually getting that to that stage. Like I think Stardew Valley took seven years to create and that was, I think, yeah. That was a complete independent production. It was like um, uh, Vlad Mahulets, the guy that made, um, oh, what's it called? I've got his book here. But he made, um, uh, it was like that, um, uh, what's it called? Dark, D-A-R-Q, which is a bit like the, it looks a bit like Inside or something like that. It was one of those sort of games. Mm-hmm. He was a composer before that like a Hollywood composer, like, and had left Poland and had to learn English and (laughs) to get into Juilliard. And so it was like uh, English as a second language, learning out of pocket, I think working part-time in New York or something to try and do that as well. And then worked in LA and worked in, uh, for film and TV composition and found out that he sort of hated it and then learned and taught himself, um unity and blender to make a game and you know it became this huge thing and so a lot of that is just if you're not i guess if you're not satisfied with what you're doing try and find something that you do enjoy and then try and figure out how you can make that um and there's an i mean youtube is such a huge huge beneficial sort of like um you can learn so much through youtube you can learn anything through youtube yeah something's disastrously so i think but but yeah i'd say if you want to learn something it may i went through uni i don't know if that's necessarily something i would do today i i don't know if that like an institution like that if you're trying to learn hard skills is as beneficial as just trying to develop it outside and use sort of alternative means of like udemy and and youtube and these other stuff i think the hardest thing is like finding out what you want to do and what you're interested in and translating that into like an actual actionable direction to say, oh, yeah. okay, well, I want to make games. Okay, well, then you've got to learn Game Maker or Unity or Unreal or what have you. So it's just finding out what you don't know and then what you need to know to find it, to make what you want. Yeah, there's that was mean... a lot of syllables, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's a good point, like... I've had people on this interview, a friend of mine that works, I think I told you at Animal Logic um, yeah. or has worked with Animal Logic and, you know, on Happy Feet and Mad Max, uh, mm. Fury, Fury Road and Pacific Rim and, and he's done all these cool movies and he taught himself from watching YouTube tutorials, you know, and then yeah. a new version of the software comes out, get on YouTube and learn how to do that and it's just... It's a it's a resource that we we're really just so lucky to have. <laughs> yeah, it's and I mean I I can say like the YouTube was not a thing when I was growing up either. Like it didn't yeah. become a thing. I don't know. I sound like the old man yelling at cloud now, but um, but yeah, it it really wasn't um, it wasn't the entity that it is today, and um, it wasn't as easy and accessible. Um, I just remember seeing like the first things I remember seeing was like Killzone 2 done with like a cell dweller, like AMV and stuff like that. So that, that's the sort of the novice sort of 480 yeah. to 280p versions of things. And like, 
someone putting the disturbed over a Resident Evil 4 trailer <laughs> and stuff like that. That's that's my memory of what YouTube was before it became what it is today. So we're very yeah. fortunate to have seen it developed into yeah. what it is now. For sure. I remember like at school, my my teacher got final cut when I asked for for iMovie and I was yeah. like, I, I don't know how to use this and no one, none of the teachers knew how to use it. So it just never got used. And if... YouTube was around back then. I could have just taught myself how to use it. Yeah, and it's like <laughs> a lot of textbooks and t- uh, when it comes to technology or like programs are out of date the second they're printed. So that's... Yeah. It's I mean, just not a reading a book that tells you how to use software is not the same as watching a video, that's for sure. Yeah, or yeah, doing it bit by bit, like working with it along it. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, it's a fundamental resource. So that would be the advice. It's like, uh, spend time on YouTube. Just be careful what you watch, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Okay, the last question, and then I'll let you go. I ask everybody this. Okay. What would you do if you knew that you couldn't fail? Oh, okay. Um, so what's the logistics of that? It's like anything you started, it would be like, it would be, a, you could accomplish it. Yeah. Um, hmm. I guess, I guess it would be, uh, one of those game ideas I have probably, but more, more that are probably like too difficult or too ambitious to achieve, um, perhaps as an individual, but, um, if it was something that I could do without failing it, I'd probably do that. Sounds Um, good. Should probably do it then. Yeah, yeah, I'll try. I'll um. I'm I've sure got, you won't fail. I've got every. No, well, yeah, I. Well, maybe failing's not the worst thing in the world. At least you can sort of learn yeah. from a failure, I guess. And the thing um, with a game is, at least, like you know, I'm sure at different points in that seven year development of Stardew Valley, it seemed like it wasn't. It, it may have seemed like a failure at, at different points, but um, I'm sure. Yeah, you know, you keep at it and. Like you said, you learn from it and maybe you throw 90% of it away and you've got 10% that's really good and you build on that. And if you stick at it, you'll have something by the end. Yeah, I think that's the big thing. I think that's part of it as well as like knowing when something's like when something's worth continuing as well, I guess. It's identifying at that point as like, how much am I actually getting from this? And how much is this? If I abandon this now, can I come back to this and, and see it with a new light? And I guess that's like why it's good to maybe have a couple of different ideas hmm. on the go because it, you're not holistically invested in one thing. Not to say that you shouldn't holistically invest in one thing, but sometimes you don't know what... Again, that whole thing of like knowing what you don't know. Um, yeah. That sort of Dunning-Kruger thing of like, I'm going to make a first-person MMO all by myself in unreal 4 and it's like okay uh do you know net code do you know modeling do you know procedural animation all these sort of things so yeah i think it is one of those things like after a while it's like um yeah just knowing knowing what you don't know can help a lot because then you can sort of chase those avenues and then not having sort of like timelines you set for yourself of like when you would like something to be done and trying to stick to those, I think, is important. And then also doing smaller versions of that same idea or just a core element of that can't think of, like, can you do AI that reacts to a player? Does that work with just boxes? Can you do that with 2D boxes yeah. on a screen and have that effect play out before trying to install it into, like, that same level of intuition and knowledge into a full-blown 3D action game or something like that? Sure. Yep. All right. Well, that's enough. We'll we'll wrap it up there, and I guess we should just tell everybody to yes. play Super Perils of Baking. <laughs> uh, Wishlist Super Perils of Baking. Um, if this will this be out before the third of June? Uh, I think we're going live with the embargo. So okay. Keep... So the second. So yeah. Uh, well, if you haven't, if <laughs> if it's before the release, Wishlist. Otherwise, just buy it. That would be awesome <laughs> too. It should be on everything. I think. Yeah. Yep, so it'll be Steam, uh, Switch, PS4, PS5, Xbox One, S, and X. X. 
Oh uh, yeah, so oh, that was so so confusing. I don't know why they did that, but like SS. the Xbox One and Xbox Series. Yeah, sure, of course. So yeah, just say like Xbox. If you, uh, like if you, yeah, if, if you, you have just... an Xbox device that's been created after 2013, <laughs> it should be okay. You should be all right. Yeah. But then again, I mean, saying that, I don't know if the 360 was continued. It's not going to be on 360. We'll say that much. That's. <laughs> Cool. Well, yeah. thanks, Lachlan. It's been really cool just to hear the story, and uh, I hope that um, we can work together at some point as well. It'd be fun. Yeah, it'd be great. Um, and thank you very much for taking the time to sit down with me and hear my rambling from one end to the other. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening, and thanks to Audio Technica. You can find Lachlan on Twitter at Lachlan Piney. That's P-I-N-I. If you want to support the show, you can leave us five-star ratings and reviews in Podchaser, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. If you really want to help us out, you can head over to 8-Bit's Kofi page. That's ko-fi.com slash we are 8-Bit, starting at just $1 a month. Don't forget, you can check out my comedy rewatch podcast, Comedy Rewind. Super Perils of Baking is out now. And if you want to catch me on the socials, at Jono himself. Until next episode, keep putting in work.